SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Live from Las Vegas, it's Cover It with Teddy Covers. Hour number two of Cover It with Teddy Covers starts right now. I'm going to bring in Steve Merrill in just a few minutes. And with Merrill, man, we're going to talk some MLB. We're going to talk some NBA. Might even talk NHL uh, with Merrill. Uh, Ask him his thoughts about the NFL draft. Uh, Steve's going to give us a nice, broad perspective on what's going on in the sports betting world this weekend. I want to talk a little bit about the Kentucky Derby and why I'm not betting it. And I'm not a horse racing expert. But I know a bunch of guys who are. (laughs) And when it comes to 20 horse fields, like you see in the Kentucky Derby, look, I have the utmost of respect for my colleagues. I really do. And some of these guys genuinely do beat horse racing, which is really hard to do considering the takeout uh, that they have uh, in the horse racing pools. But I swear, I, I don't know anyone that's been successful on any consistent basis betting the Kentucky Derby. Not a soul. I know guys that have had good years and made huge scores betting the Derby. But I don't know of anyone that, yeah, hey, last year they won and this year they won. And the year before that they hit something and, you know, that have cashed on any kind of consistent basis when you're trying to handicap a 20-horse field. It's really tough. I remember the, I, I remember the very first time I went to the track. This is back in, again, I'm dating myself, but this is back in Michigan in the early 90s, and I had a buddy that worked at DRC. Uh, you know, it was, uh, that was his uh, after-school job, you know, when we were at Michigan. And he would work uh, down, it was in Dearborn. Uh, and he'd drive down to Dearborn and work there, and I, well, you know, he's like, you guys should come down and come down to the track one time. All right, I'll check it out. I'd never been. Went to the track, and he's like, all right, this is what you do. You take the three horse and the five horse and you box it with everything else. All right. <laughs> Lo and behold, and I still remember it, came three, five, seven. <laughs> uh, you know, it's amazing. This is like 30 years ago that this happened. Uh, and I remember that, 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 that it was the first time I bet on horsing and I hit a trifecta and I was so excited until I saw what the payout was. <laughs> you know. The three horse and the five horse were both huge chalks, and anyone that came through with the uh, field wager uh, didn't add a whole lot to the equation. I think to make the, uh, I ended up with a net profit of like five dollars. I'm like, really? <laughs> That's what I got? And you got to tip the guy at the counter. So I'm like, oh, here you go. Uh, it was not a profitable endeavor. So, you know, and. I'm not anti-horse racing, but anytime you're taking, you know, 18 to 20% off the top, it's tough to beat. And for a race like the Derby, it's really tough to beat. So, again, I understand everyone wants action. Don't blame you. You know, and from a fan perspective, they say Kentucky Derby, the most exciting two minutes in sports. I don't disagree with that. There's nothing more fun. Uh, there's something more fun, but there's not much more fun. Well, you know, sitting in a crowded book, you go, get up, six, come on, get up, you know, screaming at your horse when obviously they can't hear you and the only one that can hear you are the other people in the sports book sitting next to you. <laughs> but, you know, it's fun. There's something fun to be said, you know, far more fun than, let's say, I don't know, watching 10 minutes of <laughs> of screen time between picks 
in the NFL draft. So, yeah, it's an exciting two minutes. But from a are there positive expectation wagers to make standpoint, yeah, the Derby's a little dicey. And, again, it's not something that I would get involved with in any way other than as a recreational-sized wager. This is not something I'm going to step up and put any decent percentage of my bankroll to get involved with. I want to talk about NBA real quick, too, before the break, because at this stage of the season, now here we are right down the home stretch of the NBA campaign. Most teams have played, you know, about 10 games left in the schedule, and you're seeing right now the majority of sports books aren't putting up any overnight lines in the NBA. That tells us something very clearly. It tells us they're not confident. It tells us they're worried about getting beat down the stretch of this campaign. And that, to me, <laughs> when it comes to late-season NBA, there's one tried-and-true method that I found that works, flat-out works, and that's you fade the dead teams. I'm not talking about bad teams. Minnesota's bad. They're on a winning streak right now. They won four in a row for the first time all year. All right. Um, New Orleans is bad. They're playing okay basketball right now. You know, it's not like the Pelicans are getting slapped around night in, night out. You know, it's bad. You know, but they're a hand, Pistons, another team. It's a bad team, but they're not playing effortless basketball. There's effort for Detroit. Not every night, but many nights. But there's a handful of teams. Cleveland Cavaliers stand out. The Orlando Magic stand out. I would certainly put the Oklahoma City Thunder on that list. I put the Houston Rockets on that list. And I might even put the Sacramento Kings. Those five teams in particular. They're all playing bad basketball down the stretch. They've all pretty much blown any chance they had. You know, The only one of those groups that had any chance to make the playoffs to begin with was Sacramento. And they've blown that chance now. And as a group, the bottom feeders, those last 10 games in the NBA, regular season, as they're just playing out the string, those are teams I look to fade early and often. And that, to me, the only way to bet the last 10 games or so of the NBA regular season, find your bad teams to fade and fade them again and again and again. OKC, Houston, Sacramento, Orlando, Cleveland. That's my top five fades over the back 10 games of the campaign. Coverage continues. Stay tuned. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Covering with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. And I'm bringing in my next guest, some extended time here in hour number two, with Steve Merrill. That's two R's, one L, at Steve Merrill on Twitter. Steve, welcome to the program. Teddy, great to be here as always. I appreciate it, my man, and excited to be back. I think I did the premiere episode with you a few months ago, so if you took the over two and a half month teddy would still be on the air it has cashed and i was heavy on that teddy big juice on that one yeah no, you know, when, the, when the show first started 
I didn't know. You know, hey, let's try it. We'll see how it works <laughs> out. But so far, uh, so good. I mean, I wouldn't have made well the over under. I probably would have made the, the over under two and a half months had to be chalk. But I don't know if it would have been minus oh, yeah. five hundred or minus a thousand or anything like that. Um, you know, you had to think I was going to survive a couple of months. But don't worry, Steve. It's we're, we're talking about me. So uh, sooner or later, I'll say something stupid and screw it all up. Don't you worry about it. Oh, I highly doubt that, my man. You've been doing this for <laughs> almost as long as me, so uh, I think you're a trained professional. And it's satellite radio, man. You get away with more than we used to back in the day when we did over the air. So it's actually a lot, a lot harder to get kicked off nowadays. Uh, I can find a way, believe me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Steve, I, I, we spent extended time in hour number one talking the NFL draft. I don't want to spend too much time recapping and rehashing here in hour number two. I want to uh, talk some MLB. Uh, I want to talk some uh, late-season NBA. But when it comes to the draft, and again, let's talk first round. Anything that stood out to you, surprises, truly dumb picks, what the Raiders did, all the quarterbacks going, um, talk a little bit about your impressions of, uh, of that first round. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. First of all, we have to separate ourselves as fans from professional sports bettors, and also you and I as sports advisors who have clients that are recreational players. You know, So we kind of wear a lot of different hats, as you know, Teddy. And as a fan, I enjoy watching the draft. As a professional sports bettor, I don't do a ton with it. Um, and for my clients, it's tricky as well because the numbers change. Some sports books have props that aren't available at other books. So, you know, from a business perspective, I don't spend a lot of time with it. And then as a big-picture takeaway for the rest of, like, next season, once again, as a fan for certain teams or whatnot, you can talk. It's exciting to talk about. But it doesn't really move the needle on the most part for me. Um, I'm not going to do a lot this far out from the NFL season anyway. Um, I do think a couple big-picture takeaways, probably the biggest-picture takeaway for me had nothing to do with the draft itself. It's the situation in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. They say uh, as of Friday they're not going to trade him, but I don't see how you possibly continue with a guy that doesn't want to be there. Um, so that's going to be the big thing that moves the betting needle, in my opinion, over the next month or so. If he goes elsewhere, who the Packers get, which team gets him, will off, off, you know, if, if it's any kind of a playoff contender, they're obviously going to become one of the top favorites to win the Super Bowl probably with them. Um, so I think that's going to be the big news. Um, one other quick takeaway was talking about quarterbacks. I mean, you know, Mac Jones was projected to maybe go third to the 49ers when they traded up. They end up with the North Dakota State guy that's a real project, probably will not play this year behind Garoppolo. But Mac Jones could definitely step in. He was probably the most NFL-ready quarterback of anybody in the draft. And now that he's going with the Patriots and Belichick, boy, that just seems like a good fit. It almost seems like Tom Brady 2.0 about to happen there. A guy that's a pocket passer, not real mobile, really understands the game from an X's and O's perspective. Um, so, you know, maybe you bump the Patriots a little bit in your future ratings now if you're looking at them. Yeah, I mean, New England certainly had a positive off season. Although, you know, you look at the history, even with the success – that Alabama has had as the best college football program over the course of the last decade and a half. You're looking for impact QBs in the NFL? Huh? A.J. McCarron? <laughs> no. Uh, that's, you know, I'm, well, obviously, well, the, the jury's still out on Jalen Hurts. The jury's still out on Tua uh, Tagovailoa. Uh, but the history for Alabama quarterbacks moving up to the next level is not a history that uh, bodes well for Mac Jones having been the number three overall pick, which he wasn't. <laughs> and, of course, the history of quarterbacks that aren't the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft, that history is as ugly as it gets. Uh, you know, we can go through bust after bust after bust after bust. 
year after year, decade after decade. You know, it's uh, once, once you get past number one, it's all Blaine Gabbard all the time. So I'm not necessarily sold on Mac Jones uh, being the guy in New England. We'll see. And it's not like the Patriots have drafted well at the QB position. The Patriots, that great organization that everyone loves, has been flubbing one draft after the next <laughs> uh, in recent seasons. That's a big part of why last year was what it was. All right. Maybe we'll talk a little NFL at the end. But let's talk about something that's not NFL. What do you want to go first? Do you want to talk NBA or MLB? It's up to you, Steve. Hey, flip, flip a coin, man. They're both daily sports. They're both uh, they're my, they're the two sports I'm covering on a daily basis here, so they go hand-in-hand hand for me right now. Me and you both, my friend. All right, let's start with baseball. Uh, and obviously, in MLB, we've had a bunch of, and this is not unusual. All right, this is fairly typical for April baseball. But here we are. Today's May 1st. April's over. And we have, i got to say, four legitimate surprise teams to the upside and four legitimate surprise teams to the downside. The upside. The Pirates. The Royals. The Red Sox. And the Giants. That's not a team. <laughs> that's not a group of four teams that I was like, oh, yeah, all these teams are going to be in first place or close to it. Uh, and the Giants, yeah, the Giants are a half game ahead of the Dodgers. Uh, as we were, they're all, uh, uh, you know, KC's in first place. Boston's in first place. Um, are any of those teams any good, or is this all just April flukes? Can we make money moving forward with KC, Pittsburgh, Boston, or San Francisco? Well, that's an excellent question. I mean, once again, that's where you have to separate being a fan from an investor, right? Because uh, whether they make the playoffs or not doesn't necessarily matter. It's whether they're profitable against the money line and the over-under totals for the next 100 games or so. Now, obviously, if those teams continue to play well and make the playoffs, I do think they'll still be value with them because a lot of people are surprised to see them there. And let's keep in mind, these teams have played roughly 26 games or so, 25, 26 games on average out of 162. That's 16% of the season. You know, so that would be the equivalent of right now of a 16-game NFL season of just two and a half games. So this is like week three of the NFL right now for baseball, <laughs> even though they played 25, 26 games. However, it's really amazing, Teddy, if you look back throughout history, we all know about what is it, the NFL teams that start 0-2 or what is it, 0-3, they hardly ever make the playoffs, even though they still have, you know, 13 games to go. Same thing with baseball. After April... You get a lot of situations that are 80, 90% long-term where teams are below 500, they have an uphill battle. And you would think there's more time to make it up, but, you know, that has to be a little bit of concern if you're a team like the Yankees right now, which is several games below 500 as we head into May. And um, I still think a team like the Yankees with that strong pitching can turn it on. The problem for them is they've been one of the worst offensive teams in baseball this year, and there's nothing misleading about it. They're barely hitting 200 overall. Um, meanwhile, you look at a team like the Red Sox, best offensive team in the American League, um, run scored. Uh, they're getting it down with offense. And what's been a very low-scoring season, that's something we have to mention here, is that this is a record season as far as fewest hits, most strikeouts so far after the first month. And um, it's on a pay. We're talking about the last 150 years of baseball. Right now we've had more strikeouts per game and less hits in game than ever in the last 150 years. Now, Run scored is kind of on track with the last 10 years or so, about four and a half per team, about nine, eight and a half, nine per game. Um, but still, uh, offense is not ruined. So that's one of the reasons the Red Sox have been ahead of everybody else. The Giants also have been okay offensively, but they're getting it done with pitching. Uh, look at the best offensive teams in the National League, the Reds, who are below 500, 
and the Dodgers, who have hit a little bit of a slump over the past few weeks. Uh, Dodgers, Reds, and then you've got Red Sox. That can carry you through the regular season, but you know, once you get to the postseason, I still think defense and pitching is what wins the championships. Well, I'm going to make Steve Merrill answer my question after the break. So help me, I'm going to make one of these teams are going to make us money, whether it's San Fran, whether it's right. KC, whether it's Pittsburgh, whether it's Boston. No, 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 no. I gave you a chance. You went in a different direction. That's fine. We'll talk about it again in just a few minutes. But one of these teams is going to make us money, maybe more than one may stay alive. And again, we're not talking about teams that have to make the playoffs. All they got to do is show profitability. Coverage continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. So I was giving Steve Merrill grief right before the break. And I love giving Steve Merrill grief because he's a, uh, an easy guy to give grief because uh, he rolls off of Beck without any trouble at all. But we're talking about some of the surprise teams early on. And, I mean, again, there's four that absolutely stood out to me. The Giants sitting in first place. The Pirates sitting at 500, projected to be a team that finishes 40 games under 500 going into the season. You have the Kansas City Royals. A team, I don't know if they were projected for last place. The Tigers are there, but they certainly weren't projected to lead a division with the White Sox, the Indians, and the Twins uh, in it. And the Red Sox, who were, you know, a bad team last year, and the, they were projected to be, what, the fourth-place team in the division this year, behind ahead of only Baltimore. And yet all of those teams in early season play have made a fair bit of money for their backers. They all stand at or near the top of the list for MLB profitability in early season play, and sometimes in some sports, not in all sports, not all the times, but sometimes you find these teams early and you just ride them like all year long or for weeks or months on end, and you can make money with them. Which of those four teams, Steve, let me ask you very specifically, which one do you think falls back to earth the quickest and the hardest, and which one of them for you has real bet-on potential still? Moving forward. Well, let, let's take a big picture takeaway here, just look leading up to that, because let's go back two seasons, which is the last full baseball season we had was in 2019, okay? And let's look at the best and worst money teams that year. I mean, by far, the, San Diego was worth like minus 20 units in the National League. If I'm looking at the American League, Detroit was minus 41 units, 47 wins, 114 losses. So that's the extreme, okay? Most teams fall within the – the plus 10, minus 10 units won. The most profitable team was like the A's that year, like 17 net units won, Minnesota 17 net units won. Okay, so let's say, give or take, plus 20, minus 20 is about as good as you're going to do over 162 games on average. Right now, most of those teams you mentioned are up about five to six net units, only 16% of the season in. So there's definitely room for a team like Kansas City or Boston or Pittsburgh to pick up another 10, 15 units. Um, it's not like they've, they've overachieved so far this early into the season. Uh, Pittsburgh is a team in the preview show for preview show for wagertalk.com. We did a national league preview show last month. I had Pittsburgh as my futures play over 59 and a half wins for that show. 
Now, I didn't think they were going to come out, you know, out of the gate 12 and 12 for the first month of the season, 500 baseball, basically, heading into May. Um, but I did think they were a little bit underrated. So I think they're still upside with Pittsburgh. They're only plus six units against the money line. They're a 500 team, basically. Um, if you look at a team like Kansas City, um, they've overachieved a little bit more than expected because, yes, they're plus about five units, but they're like seven games above 500. So I still think a team like Pittsburgh is going to basically be an underdog at every game is going to make you money this season. Um, Boston, I'd be careful with. They were really bad, as you mentioned, Teddy, last year. Um, they're getting it done, as I said before the break, with offense. That can carry you during the regular season. But I'm telling you right now, if you start to see a slump, if you start to see some injuries in that lineup, that's when you're going to want to start to fade the Red Sox. And they're almost plus six or seven units right now for the season. So I think Pittsburgh probably has the most upside. Um, the Giants, it's going to be a tough road because San Diego and L.A. were the two favorites to win the whole thing. And they're trailing them right now as we head into May in the division. I think at some point the Dodgers and Padres make a run and San Francisco comes back down to earth. So San Fran's the one I'd be the most cautious with. Pittsburgh maybe the one I'd be the most bullish with. And it's funny because I might go the exact opposite, literally. Now, uh, let me start with Boston because Boston's got Alex Cora managing. And it feels like they bought into him in a way that they didn't. I mean, the team chemistry for the Red Sox was, was pretty abysmal last year. And that hasn't been the case this year. I do think that Boston can continue to be one of the profitable teams in MLB. And I'm I'm not worried about a 162-game season. I'm talking about, like, the next two weeks, the next month. Can we continue to ride the Red Sox? I think you can. When I look at uh, a, a team like San Francisco, I'm really interested in the intangibles. For a team like the Giants. Boy, the team chemistry there. Much like in Boston, it feels night and day. You read the locker room quotes, it seems like these guys like each other. And that matters in MLB. So I'm not convinced that the Giants are a team that's primed to take a step back. And of course, because the Padres and Dodgers are in that division, they'll be $2 dogs <laughs> on a pretty regular basis. They can win a handful of those games. Uh, I think San Fran's a team you might continue to be able to make money with. And again, from a character standpoint, I just like the character of that team. I like the Giants off a loss. I like the Giants off a bad game. You know, they've shown already this year to be that type of a team that you want them when they're facing some adversity. I look at Pittsburgh and say, yeah, this is all a mirage. You know, they've won a dozen games. Okay. Uh, there's no one I like on this. And with Pittsburgh and Seattle, it's a team that I absolutely should have brought up on this list and didn't. The Seahawks right. you know, coming into uh, today, the most profitable team in all of baseball. But the Pirates and the Mariners, I think their early season success has a lot to do with bullpens. They're both teams have extraordinarily low bullpen ERAs, and I'm just not convinced that's going to hold for either one of those squads. Neither team is loaded with starting pitching. Eventually, these bullpens are going to come back down to earth, and once that happens, you're going to start to see Pittsburgh do what we thought they were going to do, which is have a whole bunch of losing streaks and not many winning streaks. That said, it's a very weak division, that NL Central. It's as weak as any division in MLB, and that's one of the reasons right now uh, that Pittsburgh, you know, and as long as they they, they they stay within contact, you know, but first place and last place, NL Central right now, four games only separates the top from the bottom. It's not quite like the NL East where it's one game between first place and last place, but uh, it has been a very competitive division, which, you know, has been okay for Pittsburgh early on. But I'm not sold on their lineup. I'm not sold on that pen as being a long-term answer. I, I don't know the Pirates are going to be profitable 
for that much longer. You want to rebut me, or should we move on? Well, yeah, so you're not going to take right now at FanDuel. You can get the Pirates 85-1 to one to win the NL Central. still. How do you like that? <laughs> so, yeah, it's not too likely um, that it's going to happen. But a bigger take, you know, takeaway for me is as a handicapper, it doesn't really matter if these teams are profitable, like you said, over the next 100 games. I'm looking at it day-by-day situationally, and I look for streaks in baseball. You have to be careful with hot teams. You have to be careful backing cold teams. I do agree both Seattle and Pittsburgh are overachieving right now, uh, but I'm not going to try to catch that falling knife plus the otherwise. And same with San Francisco. I think at some point they come back down to earth. Uh, they played a fairly weak schedule. That's something else to keep in mind. Uh, San Fran has not faced those teams you mentioned, like the Padres or Dodgers, yet at all during this strong start. One thing I will throw out there, let me give you some actionable info, something I do think is worth a look. That's the Milwaukee Brewers on some future bets just due to that pitching lineup they've got. If the Brewers can make the playoffs, and right now they're leading their division, they're at even money to win the division right now, uh, they're going to be loaded. I mean, with Burns and Woodruff, I mean, you're going to have them going five out of seven games maybe in any series. That's what I look for, and that's why I liked the Nationals a couple years ago. I mentioned that when the Nationals were making a run. I said if they can make the playoffs with Scherzer and Strasburg, they can win it all, and they did. I think the Brewers are worth a futures play here. Different ways to play at NL. Of course, they got to get by the Dodgers or the Padres, and that's one of the hiccups there. But I saw them over 22 to one about a week ago to win the World Series. Still, and they make the playoffs. They're going to be a tough out for anybody. Now, if you wanted to bet the Brewers in the future market, how would you do it? Would you bet them to win the World Series? Would you bet them to uh, see if you can find something to win the division? Would you bet them to win uh, the NL? Uh, what do you think the best bet or the best way to get at Brewers futures might be? Yeah, the division right now is even money. Uh, that's not the way to play it because the whole handicap here is that they're going to be dangerous in the postseason. You know, So I need them to win the division to probably get to the postseason. So I'd rather the much bigger payoff with either the, the, comp, with the league or the World Series. Once again, our fr- friends at FanDuel right now, I'm seeing 12-1 to 1 on the Brewers to win the National League. Um, to win the World Series, um, I'm seeing them right now at about 22-1 to 1 still. If you look at the NL Cy Young Awards, Two of the top eight favorites right now are Brewer pitchers. <laughs> That's how stacked that rotation is. Um, so I think it's worth a little sprinkle. I, hell, I'd play the 22 to 1. 12 to 1 makes a lot of sense, too, though, because you got to figure. Uh, I mean, the 22 to 1 makes more sense to me because the biggest hiccup for them is going to be getting by the Dodgers in the NL. So, you know, if they get by them at 12 to 1, you've got a nice little ticket at 22 to 1 because I think they have a better chance of winning against the American League than the NL. Uh, but that rotation is going to be tough, even against Los Angeles. Uh, Burns coming into the weekend was a 49 and 0 strikeout walk ratio. That's insane after five starts. Woodruff has been fantastic. Peralta has been good too. That's a tough rotation in the postseason. Uh, no doubt. I, I mean, that said, when you're talking about 22 to one and the longer shots that you're looking at, you know, you don't have to be right every time <laughs> in order to make of those type of plays profitable. Interesting discussion on the walking, of course. When it comes to, and, and I'm focused a lot on bullpens. And when it comes to the back end of the Brewers' bullpen, haters as good as it gets. Although, I have my concerns about their lineup, especially with Yelich and Kane uh, still hurt. That's, you know, a, a fair bit of firepower that Milwaukee is missing. So, I want to get into the other side of the equation here. The teams that have underachieved early on. And certainly you talked about the Yankees as being a team that has gotten out of the gate slowly. Philadelphia, everyone kept telling me this offseason about the Phillies and how much better their bullpen was, how much better their pitching is going to be, and how much better the lineup's going to be, and this is the Phillies' year. Not so far. The Minnesota Twins, 
were a hyped club coming out of spring training favorites in that AL Central. And I guess the wise guys figured out the Cubs before the start of the season. Uh, but the public was still looking at Chicago as being a, a team that could potentially compete for a World Series title. Yankees, Phillies, Twins, Cubs, I'd say the four biggest underachievers in early season MLB action. And when we come back, Steve Merrill is going to tell us which one of those four teams you're going to make money with here in the month of May. Coverage continues. Stay tuned. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're talking with Steve Merrill. Two R's, one L. Here on Cover It with Teddy Covers. You can follow him on Twitter at Steve Merrill. Two hours, one hour. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore Covers. And we're talking a little MLB. And I do want to talk NBA, late season NBA uh, with you, Steve. But before we talk the pro hoops, let's talk the pro baseball. And before the break, I was talking about the biggest underachievers through the first month of the MLB campaign. I told out the Yankees, the Phillies, the Twins, and the Cubs as the team that stood out to me as underachieving early on. Although I think the Cubs might just be bad. Uh, but any of those teams stand out to you as being teams you're going to make money with if you bet on them over the course of the next couple of weeks. Yeah, the, the Yankees are an interesting case study because obviously they're a very public team. And um, their offense, as I mentioned earlier, has been terrible. They're barely batting over 200 for the season. But their pitching is really good. Um, that's another team, you know, if they make the postseason, it could be dangerous if they continue to pitch the way they're pitching. But they got to get that offense going. And I'm not going to just all of a sudden try to guess when that happens. And you're going to still be laying a price with them a lot. Um, so I think maybe a team like the Phillies you have a better shot with. Uh, but offensively, they have not been as strong as they should be. But I still think there's more upside in that offense. It's also a division which really looks – everybody in that division looks to be 500 at best. You know, when DeGrom's not on the mound for the Mets, they're all sub-500 teams probably. Uh, one other team I will throw out real quickly, though, they're technically below 500 as we head into May, um, but they've outscored their opponents, and they have one of the best offenses run scored in, in all of baseball this year, and that's the Cincinnati Reds. Um, so that's another team. I don't know if they were expected to be a play-on team, but they're a team I have my eye on. Um, I think at some point this year we're going to get some value with them in the near future. I think that offense is pretty capable. Now, it's a little misleading because they put up 30 runs against the Pirates in a three-game set a few weeks ago, um, and that's why they're positive for the season. Um, but I think at some point the Reds might turn things on offensively and be a nice little play-on team in the near future. Yeah, since he got off to that hot start, but just 2-8 and eight in their last 10 ball games, Steve Merrill says, keep your eye on the Reds. There might be money to be made backing Cincinnati over the course of the next few weeks in MLB action. Let's shift focus to NBA right now. You know me. I can't help myself. I got to talk NBA. I love talking NBA. I love beating the NBA, it's, a, good, it's a, a sport that the wise guys sometimes get frustrated with. And I understand why. When we look at the NBA betting marketplace, it looks to me like the pros are just betting injury info every day. And injury info doesn't necessarily t- tell you who's going to win or lose. Uh, am I missing something? What else are the wise guys betting 
in NBA right now because we are seeing obviously a fair few line moves in the association, but they have appeared to have more to do with who's in or out than how good the teams actually are. Hey, look, a couple nights ago, I had the Mavericks on Thursday night, and uh, you know, after I released it, Doc is ruled questionable, and then you have Singers and the game is pulled out and not returned, and they still cover. They went by ten, line had gone from eight and a half down to seven, went back to seven and a half. We've seen this all year, as you know, Teddy. It's like a lot of the time the teams without the star players step up and play better. The other team overlooks them. I would say if you've blindly played against the injuries this year, you've made a lot of money. So if the wise guys are really playing just injuries, it probably has not worked out well for them. I think a lot of times you're just trying to catch middles. They're trying to buy in and buy back at a better number before the lines move everywhere. Um, a lot of shenanigans going on in that regard. But bottom line is whether it was 25 years ago when I started as a pro handicapper or nowadays, the NBA regular season is all about matchups and situational analysis. Um, it's when teams want to bring their A game. You know, I always like to play good teams off a loss. I like to play against bad teams off a win. Uh, that's another reason I like the Mavericks Thursday night. The Pistons have gone 0-7 after the previous seven wins. That held it now 0-8. Um, yet it has been a frustrated season for me overall because these injury reports come out mid-afternoon, late evening sometimes, right before the game. The lines will move four or five points. It's very frustrating for my clients when I'm releasing games earlier in the day trying to get the best number. Um, so in that regard, it's been a frustrating NBA regular season for me. But the handicap is kind of the same still. And I'm looking forward to the playoffs because I've said for years now, the NBA playoffs, I think, is the single best moneymaker in all sports. There's situational analysis that works there. Teams playing multiple games against each other, the adjustments. Um, I love the NBA playoffs, and I think that'll kind of play out like it normally does, although this regular season has been a strange one. Yeah, the playoffs should play out more, quote-unquote, normal. That does make sense because in a condensed regular season, what we've seen is the teams aren't getting practice time. <laughs> you know, uh, And when they go through some of these scheduling stretches, they're, they're clearly gassed, and I think that's why we're seeing certainly since the All-Star break, more blowouts than we did early on in the campaign. Uh, coaches, are, you know, a team's down 20 in the third quarter. They're mailing it in and saying, all right, we got another game tomorrow, uh, as opposed to digging down deep and fighting hard for some of these contests. So we talked about the line moves and the pros just betting injuries by and large. When you're talking about the last 10 games of the regular season, right, week 17 in the NFL is tough, Okay. September baseball and MLB, when they're bringing in all the call-ups, that can be tough. You know, the thing I look for in September baseball more than anything is I look for a team that was good all year that's kind of falling apart down the stretch and you bet against those teams uh, as favorites in September and that uh, works out. But from a pure handicapping standpoint, it's a lot more work when the rosters move to 40. So late-season baseball, you know, in the middle of football season can be tough as well. The last 10 games of the NBA season, I'm not going to call it the same as Week 17 of the NFL or the same as, uh, you know, uh, when you're talking about uh, what we do early on or late on in some of these uh, campaigns, but is there any good advice for the last 10 games of the NBA season? Is there anything that you think that better should be looking for or against or is this just a time of year that maybe you take a little bit lighter in the NBA and wait for that postseason to start? Yeah, it's funny. Normally in the 16-game NFL regular season, it's about 6% of the schedules that one week. So that would equate to like 5 out of 82 NBA games. But a lot of times, the NFL at 16 and week 17, you know, the two last two weeks get dicey. That is exactly 10 games normally in an NBA 82-game season. This year to be about 8 or so, 8 or 9. 
Um, so I think you're right about the 10. I think that's kind of the window we're in now. But I'll, I'll, I'll counter and say the whole damn season's been like that for me, you know, with the uncertainty of who's <laughs> playing up until an hour before tip-off. The teams are gassed. They don't bring their A game like you just said. So I'm not sure this – I think, if anything, the final, like, few weeks of this regular season is more like the regular season than we've seen as a whole than we've ever seen in the past. And, once again, you kind of have to read between the lines and see when teams are ready to play and when they're going to bring their A game. And, once again, you know, they got to put a line on every game. They have to put a side. They have to put a total – as professional handicappers and betters, we don't have to play them all. We can find that one game a night, that one side or total out of the 20 options where there is value. And that's what I'll continue to be extra selective here over the next few weeks. Um, one thing I will say, though, a lot of times in these final games, I look for the overs. You get the playground mentality. One thing about the modern NBA, it doesn't matter if they're the ninth or 10th guy on the bench, they can all score. And if their defense is not there for the intensity, that often leads to a lot of points. And that's why we've seen some really high-scoring games this year as well. So at the top of the hour... Uh, here in hour number two on Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM, channel 204. At the top of the hour, uh, I talked about a handful of NBA teams that I had said to bet against or leave them alone down the stretch. You can't make money with the bottom feeders uh, over the you know the final uh, few weeks of the campaign. And I listed these five teams. It's the Rockets, the Thunder, the Kings, the Cavs, and the Magic. Is there any one of those teams that you think doesn't deserve to be in that category? Or are all five of them either bet against them or leave the game alone for you? Well, I will say this. All five of them off a win, they're probably bet against. Like I said the other night, I used Dallas over Detroit. Detroit's now lost eight straight after a win. Uh, Minnesota beat Utah back-to-back games earlier this week. Before that, Minnesota, and if you took out their season first season win, they'd gone, um, I believe, 1-14 straight up after their following 15 wins until this week. So one angle that always works year after year is bad teams off a win. So don't fall into the, the myth that all of a sudden these teams are turning things around. I'd look to fade all of them if they're coming off a good performance. Uh, Sacramento just allowed the Jazz to shoot 64% on uh, Thursday night. Uh, just insane. I mean, on Wednesday, yeah, or Wednesday night, actually, had to play in that game. Uh, Houston just beats Milwaukee on Thursday. You know, rookie puts up over 50. These teams are good occasionally for one good or really bad game, but I'd take a contrarian look. You know, when they're coming off a good performance, I'd look to fade all of them. I think you can make money doing so. So let's talk future book real quick here in the NBA. Just a few minutes left with Steve Merrill. Uh, Here's my question. Plain and simple. Who's coming out of the East? Who's coming out of the West? I'll tell you what, it's so tricky with the Lakers this year because they're the defending world champs. They're the team to beat still, yet LeBron and Anthony Davis haven't played together for months. LeBron's finally coming back. Davis just came back. Um, obviously, they're doing it just in time to get them ready for the postseason. So the question becomes, are they going to be rusty? Or are they going to be fresh? Uh, I still think it's hard to go against the Lakers. I will say I'm looking right now. FanDuel's got the Lakers 3.5-1. to they got the Clippers 6-1, to Jazz 7-1. to I like the Clippers at 6-1 to one among all those teams. I know they fell apart last year in the postseason, but they're still a loaded lineup. can be as good as anybody when they want to bring their A game. Um, the Nets right now are 2-1. to one. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to play just 2-1. to one. I mean, you'd be better off money line parlaying than probably in the postseason. So of all those teams in the top there, I think the Clippers at 6-1 to one probably have the best value. Yeah, I, so I like Philly to come out of the East. And when you look at the team's like Brooklyn, like the Lakers, in many ways like the Clippers, teams that have not been healthy for extended stretches this season, teams that went through massive off-season roster overhauls, 
that now haven't been healthy and haven't been on the floor together, I don't think any of them are going anywhere. I mean, I shouldn't say going anywhere. Uh, you know, the, the Nets are live to win a playoff series or two. I don't think they're live to win three or four. They haven't been on the court enough together. Same thing with the L.A. Lakers. And I know they won a championship last year. This year's Lakers team is not last year's team. And they're also not in the bubble. Otherwise, we'd be talking about the Miami Heat and their capabilities. Real quick, Miami. You know, out of the East last year, we keep saying, oh, they'll turn it around, they'll turn it around. Are the Heat ever going to turn it around? Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I'm looking right now at the Eastern Conference odds. Miami's 15-1, to Boston's 18-1 to just to win the East, you know, which is a wide-open conference in my opinion. So that is appealing. By the way, Philly's 12-1 to to win the whole thing after Milwaukee, who's only 7-1. to I want nothing to do with the Bucks. by the way. You know, you and I did a lot of NBA tip-off shows last year on wagertalk.com, and um, I'm not a big believer in the Bucks. I don't see what's changed in the team that's underperformed in the postseason for several years. So I don't disagree with you. I think Philly's a nice little long shot in the East. They're four to one to win the conference, twelve to one to win overall. And I like the Clippers as a little bit of an underdog in the West. They're uh, two and a half to one to win the conference, six to one to win the whole thing. Um, I think that's where the value is, Philly and the LA Clippers. Fun discussion with Steve Merrill. Really enjoyed having you on the show today, Steve. Uh, why don't you let the folks out there know where they can find your stuff? You got a little bit of time to remote here. Don't go nuts. All right, it's uh, at Twitter, as you said, Steve Merrill, two R's, one L, M-E-R-R-I-L, at Steve Merrill. And then, of course, you can find Teddy and myself at wagertalk.com if you'd like to get our personal best bets on a daily basis with detailed analysis. One-stop shop right now at wagertalk.com. Awesome stuff, Steve. So, uh, oh, last last question. We've still got a few seconds left. Uh, 30 seconds or less. Are you betting the Derby? And if so, who do you like? Um, I'm still looking at the Derby. You know, we'll see what the pot odds look like. One thing problem with the horse races we've talked about is that you don't know your odds until right till post time, and I don't like getting locked into the number I don't like. Uh, but the good thing about the Derby is that you get a lot of public money. So these Triple Crown races and the Breeders' Cup uh, do pop up on my radar, and I'll be taking a deep dive as we get close to post time to see if I find some overlays. Yeah, I found nothing in the Kentucky Derby, not just this year, but any year. Great stuff, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me on Cover It Today. And of course, we'll be back for the home stretch of this edition. Stay tuned, coverage continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're here in the home stretch of Cover It with Teddy Covers. Sirius XM, channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. I just have some final words about the NFL draft. And I understand from a fan perspective, Merrill came out and was talking about fans, worried about being a fan or the Sheriff. One of those guys talking about being a fan. I'm no fan. Sheriff still likes the Steelers. I think Merrill still likes the Washington football team. I grew up in New York. I was a Jets fan growing up. All right. The Richard Todd era. I'm no Jets fan. <laughs> then I moved. To Michigan, and I got the whole Wayne Fonts era in Detroit. I'm no Lions fan either, you know. Then you move out to Vegas, and Vegas gets the Raiders. Great, fun. Then you watch the Raiders play. I'm no Raiders fan. You can't be a fan if you're going to do this in any real way. 
I, you know, I, I shouldn't say you can't be. But we love sports, all right? We bet on sports because we love sports. We don't watch these games and do this because, oh, this is the easiest way to make money. <laughs> we do it because we love the game. And when it comes to picking, you know, looking at the picks, you say, oh, this guy's good, this guy's bad, this guy's, you know. It's pretty random to see who's going to succeed or who's going to fail at the next level. It really is. A lot of it comes down to what kind of a spot they're in, what kind of coaching they get, who their mentors are. So, I mean, I guess I'm all over the map here a little bit <laughs> with the home stretch today. But the bottom line is, if you're a fan, enjoy it. As a better, you don't want to be a fan. You don't want to be a fan of any team because all that's going to do is cloud your thought process. And especially the guys who like these guys are like, oh, I, I watch the Dodgers every day. I got a great read on the Dodgers. I'm the great Dodgers, you know. But I don't bet Dodgers games because I don't want to ever bet against my team. If you got a read on a team, <laughs> there's money to be made betting on them and betting against them. It's almost the same thing like Pete Rose used to do. When he wasn't betting on the Reds that day, that meant he was betting against them. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again next week. Enjoy the games and good luck. Cheers. Those nights when you've got no lights, the check is in the mail, and you're